We're going to be looking over the next coming weeks because it is so depictive and so defining for us the names of Jesus. So the title of the series that we'll be looking at is called What's in a Name? What's in a Name? So in preparation for this message, I was thinking about how words describe. You know, um, many of us have seen sunsets that have been phenomenal over the last few weeks. The sun going down behind the Olympics and the skies being illuminated and just the vast colors that we can see. But you know, then oftentimes we'll take a picture and then when our picture is developed, whether or instantly we see it in the camera, it doesn't quite capture the splendor of being there personally. And so my desire, our desire, is that we would be captivated by the word textures that are given to us in Scripture about who God is. That we would be captivated by the substance of the reality of not only His presence, but His power in our lives. So we're going to be looking at what is in a name. What is in a name? A name could be defined as a word, a combination of words, an expression that would designate the knowledge of a person. A name. A name. In our culture, a name typically is just a label. Oftentimes it really doesn't have meaning. It just gives us some definition of personality, maybe, or identification in a relationship. A name. We've all had a little tags on our shirt that says, or our blouse or our jackets that says, Hi, my name is, and we fill it in, you know? And so, anyway, names, they're so important. Just a casual view of Scripture reveals to us that God is into names. Certain places, certain events, and certain personalities all through the Old Testament have names that are depicted of what took place there. As a reminder, as the history of this nation that we've seen in the Old Testament. But the names of God are important really in three different ways this morning. Well, the, the names of God, they disclose who He is. You see, He tells us His name. You see, there's something about learning someone's name is that we're given the opportunity to be a part of their life. It is an opportunity of giving oneself to someone else. So when we give our name to someone, we're giving that name as an opportunity to have some identity or some expression of relationship or friendship. So when we say our name, we're telling somebody who we are. We're giving our name away. This disclosure is also so personal. So he discloses himself who he is, but he reveals to us a relationship. You see, when we share our name, it's an invitation for an encounter. So this is just not a stagnant thought. There's some definition and some depth of what we're actually looking at in the Bible. I just love how God works in our lives. He doesn't leave us alone. He moves us forward with giving us information that we can build our lives on. My hope as your pastor is that we can learn more about God, that we can learn more about our relationship with Him. We can learn more from the Scripture about what He says about Himself. So He discloses Himself, He reveals His relationship to us, but He makes Himself known. His character, His power, His presence, His attributes, 
And this is also infinitely important to us. In fact, the first mention of God's name and humanity response to that is in Genesis 4.26. We've seen the scripture already. In fact, it was read by Holman. It says, To Seth, to him also was born, and he, was, he called his name Enosh. Now listen closely. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now mentioning Seth, that is the third son of, of uh, Adam and Eve. And uh, Seth gave, had a relationship, obviously, and had a son that was born who was called Enosh. Basically, this is a time framework for us to look at. But I want to remind us that worship began about the third generation out from the creation of humanity. So up to this time, the worship was very elementary in its adoration. It was demonstrated by a sacrifice. Now we learn early on in Genesis that Cain and Abel offered a sacrifice unto God. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because he gave it out of devotion and a relationship with God. Cain's sacrifice was not so. In fact, his sacrifice was disregarded because it was offered out of empty obedience. But what we can get out of this this, these elementary elements of worship about those who called upon the name of God, we can learn that this call is a personal, vocal direction toward someone. There is an appeal to God. Way back in the third generation of humanity, there was now a time in which people worshipped God. There was a calling out, a relationship that was established, an encounter with God. And it was an expression that people had a need. It was an appeal for provision. But there was also prayer. We don't know what these worship services look like, but we can presume the elementary aspect of this was an appeal to God, an appeal for provision, and a prayer in terms of communion. Now here's the name. They called upon the name of God. The significance. And now we jump to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says that an angel came to, to Joseph in a dream and said, Your wife Mary will bear a child. And that child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And his angel said to him, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There was an identification that's interesting about Jesus' name. There's an identification of who he is and the designation of what he's going to do. So it just wasn't a random name. His name qualified what he was going to accomplish in his life. So his name was important. So when his name was said, we knew who he was and what he was going to do. Way back before he was born. So the name was significance. Significant. Now this word, this name Jesus means God is salvation. Or Yahweh saves. So his name is very significant. Now Jesus' name is a derivative of the name Joshua. Does that name ring a bell? Do you remember after Moses had died, Joshua was designated to lead the nation Israel into the promised land? 
There have been some who have drawn the parallelism between Joshua and Jesus. Joshua had the awesome responsibility of not only leading the people out of the desert wilderness into the promised land, but he delivered them there. Joshua would lead the people to fight victories against the walled cities and the nation's enemies, the Canaanites. And that parallelism can be seen in this, is that Jesus has come to bring us out of the desert of separation and death. He has brought us into a promised land of the kingdom of God and the family of God. This is what you and I experience. He brought us out of darkness, and we'll look at the scripture in just a moment. He brings us into victory over the enemies of our souls. The times of fear and unbelief. The times of temptation. The times of trials. The times of endless tests. And He has given us victory over deception. He has led us into a new life. You shall call Him Jesus. His name means salvation. Colossians 1.13 and 14 says this. Listen to this. For He, the He is Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now keep in mind the word picture of being moved from an existence separated from God into a new existence of a relationship with God and the flourishing of that excitement and that joy of that experience. But I want us to look very closely at these words. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now look very close. This word rescued means to be dragged. For He dragged us from the domain of darkness. You see, for many of us, our salvation was an act of God literally grabbing our hearts and drawing us into a relationship with God. Many of us were not even looking for God. Many of us were not even considering God. Many of us didn't know anything, but God has reached out of eternity to receive us unto Himself and pull us into a relationship with God. He moved us from the domain of death and darkness and pain and sorrow and loss, and He brought us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. A whole different existence. We may say we're Americans. That's great. What's better yet? We're Christians. Amen. We belong to the kingdom of God. This supersedes any mankind kingdom in its existence here in this world. We are eternal beings. God has moved us and brought us and dragged us into the kingdom. And now we have eternal life. What a blessing. The Bible says that you should call him Jesus. And he will save his people. Save his people. This word people means those bound together by a common bond. As we are believers in the name of Jesus Christ. We are God's people. We are God's representation. We are God's presentation. We are God's children. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. He will save His people, the redeemed. John 1, 12-13 says this, 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, listen, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What we're seeing here in John, the gospel, he's teaching us that yes, we were born in the world, but just because we were born by the flesh does not put us in the kingdom of God. We must be born again. And at that point when we realize that, we are new creation and new creators that were created in Christ. And it's by the will of God. But I want to remind everybody, not everyone are His people. Matthew 7.21 says this, Jesus speaks of the end time when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Does the will of my Father. So, doesn't that beg the question, what is the will of the Father? Oh, is it feed the poor? Is it to accumulate wealth? Is it to to bring about vast volumes of information to become knowledgeable? Is it to be a positive influence in the world? The will of God is to know Jesus Christ. The will of God is to know Christ. And He is the the one that will bring about the importance and the significance of our lives. We must remember, not everyone is a part of the kingdom. It amazes me to look around in our world, look at the history books, and even look to the future about the resistance of God in the hearts of humanity. Right after the worship began, back in Genesis, what we just read about, those who the first to call upon the name of the Lord, it was the beginning of the end. Generations came and people came and started populating the world. And the Bible says that God repented that he even created humanity because the evil on the land was so great that every thought and every intent of the heart was to do wrong. It was a terrible and a very dark, dark place. Even in the short generations between Adam and Eve and the time in which they worshipped God and men hit that springboard into evil, resistance of God was prevalent. Even in that short period of time, just a few generations, people started to resist God. And we have begun that process all along. False religions have come up around us. Those who are brought about by the enemy to deceive and to draw God's greatest creation and love of the heart of humanity away from Him was brought about by the enemy to bring about a religion because the enemy knows that we're spiritual. He understands that there's a vacuum in our heart. And his desire is to deceive humanity so much so that they would never come to know God. Religions would come and in the minds of man If we don't want to believe God in the resistance of Him, then we will create our own. And history shows that we will create a God that we design after ourselves. It amazes me, the resistance of God. It amazes me as we look across the the landscape of humanity about the passive resistance of God. Those who are, they they don't give a second thought about their spirituality. They don't think about what's going to happen to them. 
that there's any conversation that's brought up is disregarded. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that. When God has wired us to understand. Now we live in a time. Your pastor reads quite a bit. I have a subscription to American Scientific Mind. It's a secular magazine. Very secular, as a matter of fact. There's an organization that has an advertisement in there. It's called Freedom from a Religion Foundation. And basically their motto is, in science, I trust. So they move away the resistance of God to a point in which they're making a stand that instead of having a spirituality based in faith, that they wanted an existence, a relevance, basically, that what can be measured. Expressed in science and in reason. Romans tells us, by the way, about the time that resistance would come and the heart of humanity would humanity would be revealed. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Do you hear this? It's passive resistance. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so they are without excuse. In science shall we trust? When God has made himself so evident, can we turn a blind eye to the miraculous? I was thinking the other day, think about our bodies for a moment. Think about the systems that are in our bodies. We have a digestive system. We have a circular system. We have a nervous system. We have a, a skeletal system. Look at all the systems that come into play to make ourselves a, a human person that can function in this material world. Did that just come together? How can we stand back and look at that? How can we even look at the human eye to see the creation of it and how the light travels through the iris and goes to the retina of the eye, which is flipped over upside down because it goes through that lens, and then it travels to the back of our brain, then our brain flips it back over so that we can see what is really the that just happened. <laughs> that just happened? It's like this. You take a, a, a let's, remember the wind up clocks your grandparents had? And at night you Let's take it all apart and put it in a box with the springs and the cogs and the wheels and the little cranks and the bells, okay? And we'll shake it up. We'll just shake it up. For 10,000 years, We'll shake it up. And then we'll lift the lid off and miraculously, you know what we'll have? Will we have a clock that has miraculously assembled itself? No. Of course not. We'll have a box of clock parts. <laughs> you can't deny the design. And then Paul goes even further and he says this. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolishness of heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see, the names of God gives us clear understanding to the character, the presence, and the power of God. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to eternal life. There are few that find it. I think the most dreadful words anyone would ever hear standing in the very presence of God to hear from the lips of Jesus Christ the day of judgment depart from me I never knew you in science we trust you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This word sin means this, missing the true scope and goal of life. Now, we as Christians, we understand this. We've heard this preached. We've come to the understanding ourselves. We know that the very purpose in life is to have fellowship with God. To know Him through Jesus Christ. To express that joy. So the means and the goal of life is eternal blessed fellowship with Him. The whole book of Ecclesiastes says this. How in the world can we live and work and have family to live, to die, to plant, to sow, to tear down, to raise up? How can we experience the fullness of life without God? The foolishness, even consider that. I want us to remember always. So has this ever happened? Oh, yeah, I know this happened. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever get busy going through life and you're thinking, okay, I, you know, you're going from one place. Well, that just happened to me the other day. I left the office. I had to come to the building, do something. And I come around the corner and I lock the door and I'm walking into the building and it hit me. Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Yeah. But you know you're really in trouble when you say, Who am I? <laughs> we should never walk through life with our hands in our pockets and say, um, Why am I here? You know why I'm here. You know exactly why I'm here. You're here for him. John the Baptist nailed it. When he looked across the Jordan River, he saw him. We're going to talk about Jesus in just a moment. A more. Wonderful song selection this morning. Thank you, Allison. Even though we couldn't hear you, <laughs> John the Baptist nailed it. He looked across the Jordan River and he saw him. He saw him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The cross. The cross of Christ. Acts 4 12 says this. This is both very close. Acts 4 12. And there's salvation in no one else. No one else. No other religion. 
no other plot, no other denial, no other resistance. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that which has been given among men by which we must be saved. Must be saved. Now we're going to close in just a moment. But I want us to think about Jesus' name. I want us to think about who He is. There is power in the name of Jesus. The power in the name of Christ confounds the enemy. The power in the name of Christ shuts the mouths of evil. The power in the name of Christ overcomes death. The power in the name of Christ provides salvation. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name of the Lord shall be saved. The power in the name of Christ crushes the power of sin, brings clarity to the confused, unlocks eternal mysteries, reveals the love of God. The power in Jesus' name brings peace. The power in Jesus' name teaches us about ourselves. The power in Jesus' name displays the vast, immeasurable power in the presence of Almighty God. The name of Jesus. The blessed and beloved name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has changed our lives. Shall we talk about music? Do these ring a bell? There's something about that name. There is a name I love to hear. What a, what a beautiful name it is. Take the name of Jesus with you. All hail the power of Jesus' name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. His name is wonderful. Jesus' name above all names. Blessed be the name. It goes on and on and on. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Now, there are, there are those who would like to co-op the name of Jesus for their own personal reasons. And we will get into this. But it could be personal pride, or personal profit, or personal politics, or personal position. But I want to remind everyone, in Isaiah chapter 42, 8, it says this, I am the Lord. That is my name, and I will not yield my glory to any other or praise to idols. The name of Jesus, he will not share it with others. <clears throat> Call upon him today. Call upon him in prayer, in worship, in despair, in dispute, and in loneliness. Call upon Him in the times of confusion, the times of fear, the times of tears, in the times of praise. The name of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Lawrence, would you just play quietly for just a moment? What we're going to do, if you would agree, I'm going to ask if you would repeat after me in regard to your relationship with this one whose name is Jesus. Put your hand over your heart. Can you say, Jesus is my Savior.
Jesus is my splendor. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my trust. Jesus is my worship. Jesus is my Lord. And Jesus is my friend. These are statements of truth to your life. Sweet, sweet name of Jesus. yourself in your life right now, you are not certain of your salvation, I'm here. I want to talk to you. If anything, we should get clear in our life is our orientation and our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When everything else fails around you, you can stand back and say, I am a believer. John wrote, I wrote these things who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Get that clear and get that straight. So let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning in a time that we just celebrate the vastness and the glory and the pleasure in the name of Jesus Christ. We would ask that you bless this congregation and this family as we deepen our understanding, our commitment, and our devotion to you. Give our hearts away to you. You've heard our confession. You've heard what we've said about you. Jesus. There's no other name. No other sweetness. No other splendor. Jesus.